everyone. My name is Patrick Lublon, your host, and welcome to Insights Tomorrow, brought to you by Microsoft. Let's deep dive with leaders and innovators in the data space. We're going to explore the challenges, the opportunities that organizations face in their data journeys. In each episode, we will invite some data leaders, experts, and some practitioners who share their unique perspectives on how data transformation is changing their business. Let's explore this data journey together and what it means to you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Insights Tomorrow. I'm your host, Patrick O'Blaw, and welcome back. Welcome back to another great episode. In this episode, we have someone very special with us. We have Rajiv with us. Rajiv, before we get started into questions and us having this great conversation, why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? My name is Rajiv Paratwaj. I am a chief information officer at a medical device company called Advanced Sterilization Products, or ASP which is part of the Fortive uh, group of companies. Nice. Very excited. Patrick, very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We got to thank Swifter for all this, for connecting us up like this. And so the topic that we're going to talk about today is how to influence culture shifts in organizations. I hear you know a little bit about that. I hear you know a little bit about that, Rajiv. And so the first question, right, we're going to get right into it. We're going to start off with the first question. Can you define what this means to you, what organizational culture is and why it's important for businesses and their success. Let's start right there. You know, and I'm sure there is a lot of definition and there are folks who are way smarter than I am who have written about this and, and think about this on a more regular basis. For me, I think culture, I directly equate that to performance. If you're expecting a certain kind of a performance from an organization, if you're getting a performance Today, I feel that's a direct reflection of your culture. You know, people say you get the performance that you deserve. <laughs> so <laughs> for me, when I think about culture of an organization, more than it being something warm and fuzzy, I think that is something that is directly tied to or directly responsible for the performance that you can expect from that organization. So what are some of the common signs that an organization's culture may need to be shifted or changed? So Patrick, like I was saying, because I directly correlate to the results of the organization, yep. as an organization, if you're happy with the results, then I don't think there's anything that needs to change. But if you're looking for better results or different results, that's when I think you have to look at the culture because that's the one that's going to drive your performance or your results. Yeah, it's when we're looking for something different. A lot of times people, I think, focus on, hey, it's working, but just because it's working doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's working don't mean it right. And so there's sometimes that we need to shift. We need to pivot. We need to do things different because we are getting the outcomes and we're not getting the expected outcomes. That's correct. I mean, I, I sometimes think if you look at all the famous or successful athletes, and that's an example right there. If it's Kobe Bryant or whoever it is, they're always expecting more from their own self. Yeah. They set a high bar. And when you achieve that, you raise the bar. So I kind of sometimes think that they're setting a great example. Same thing for organizations. Organizations are never satisfied, yeah. especially the ones that are continuously improving. They're never satisfied with where they are. I think it's a healthy dissatisfaction as a human being or as an organization. Same thing. And if you want different results, it starts with setting the right culture framework, if you will, to drive to get to those results. Yeah. If I think about a culture, right, what do you think are some of the key factors or elements that will contribute? 
to us because we talked about maybe we need to shift the culture, maybe we need to change culture. But what are the key factors that contribute to that culture that determine what my organization culture actually looks like? Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, Patrick, I don't know if there'll be a set formula there. Because, you know, if I look at Microsoft, for example, it has neat culture. If you look at Amazon, they've got their own. If you look at Lakers, they have their own. Since I'm so Cal here, I have to make Laker, <laughs> Laker reference, no matter how good or bad they do. But, you know, <laughs> the culture of an organization, I don't think there's a set formula. I work for a company at ASP and part of Fordham. There is a continuous learning kind of mindset. And you see that. And then you see companies that are continuously learning, improving, and continuous improvement type of mindset. That's like, so I think in my mind, every organization will have to go on that journey and really figure out what works for them. It's not sure. the same thing that works for all of them. Yeah, it's not like I can get a square and just say, there you go, it slips right in, right? It's trying, sometimes it's like trying to drop a circle into a square because, I mean, there's so many factors that can determine or force us down a path that we need to go, but it's like, no, 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 I think we need to go that way. No, it's a challenge, right? So change is often met with resistance. So you're a new CIO, right? You're a new CIO at a company and you're like, okay, this is not working. This is not working. We need to pivot. We need to shift. We need to change. How do you, as a CIO, I joke with people and say CIO is going to be my retirement job, but that is not a retirement job, right? How do you how do you handle resistance to culture change within an organization? Yeah, that's a great question. First, on a lighter note, CIO is career is over. <laughs> <laughs> And CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, career is seriously over. <laughs> so, <laughs> tough spot to be in. But no, this is with all the great things happening, whether it's AI or machine learning and all the things. I mean, I think this is a great time to be a CIO. But to your question on the resistance side, I think, Patrick, I believe that just with the families, just like your kids or family or friends, in organization too, I think culture is not taught, it's caught. Meaning people catch you seeing what you're doing. Like I could have a slide deck and put some consultants to create a very shiny, glossy slide deck. And I could talk all philosophy and be all philosophical and spiritual about all this stuff. That's not what the organization sees. You cannot teach this thing. They catch you doing it. Just like your kids, they catch you. You could tell them not to watch a lot of TV while you're sitting in front. So I think it's not taught, it's caught. And you are through living it. And I believe if the leaders at the top are really intentional about it and people see them doing it, talking about it, living it, I think it makes it easier because otherwise I feel organizations, you know, so they see new leaders come in and all that kind of stuff. I feel sometimes they're like, eh, is this a fad? Is this like the idea of the day or is this serious? Everyone kind of wants to make sure it's, it's a real thing and they see you do it, it helps with the resistance. The other thing is, I don't think, honestly, there's no magic bullet. It's not like boom and everyone, you know, yeah. is in a trance and they're, they're doing exactly what you want them to do. Yeah. It is definitely a journey. So you, that we have to be aware that it's not a sprint. It's definitely a marathon. Yeah. So it's like lead by example, right? Lead by example. And so what type of approaches, what strategies or approaches can leaders or managers use to get people to follow? I mean, we talk about lead by example, but just, you know, sometimes that's not enough. So what other things could a leader do to get people to shift to their culture or follow their lead? 
You know, I was at a conference and someone said leadership is nothing. Followership is everything because that's where um, you can measure if it's working or not. Like everyone can <laughs> talk about leadership, but if there's not enough followership, that's just, again, that's maybe an interesting soundbite somewhere. You know, this is a great question, Patrick. As I'm thinking about it, really on the followership side or on the, is this really taking effect? Yeah. The only thing I can think of, Patrick, really is being intentional about it. For example, if one of the culture traits or behaviors we're really trying to get into people is, is a customer obsession. And if my staff meeting never talks about customer, if our quarterly meetings never talk about customer, then I could talk about customer obsession, but it's not really a thing. If we talk about building extraordinary teams as one of the culture traits. Yeah, yeah. If there's a culture that we're trying to drive, a behavior that we're trying to drive, then we have to be intentional about it. First of all, it cannot be a hundred of them. It has to be a manageable number that people can focus. And then everywhere, whether it's a staff meeting, a daily stand-up meeting, a quarterly meeting, and how we conduct ourselves, we have to be intentional about it and highlight examples like, look, this is what Patrick did, and I'll love it. And this is what I call customer obsession. So people mm. see what success looks like. I think we have to be more practical about it. Otherwise, it could be just a warm, warm and fuzzy theoretical thing that Sounds good, but you can't really put in action. Yeah, enough talking, right? Can't talk about it. You got to be about it, right? You can't talk about it. You got to be about it. Yeah, it makes me think about Kobe Bryant. People often say, oh, how can he be this great? Kobe was in the gym all the time. Kobe was in the gym all the time, right? Okay, now here's something interesting because the world changed with COVID. The world completely changed with COVID. And so... How does technology and remote work in this new digital age, because data is everywhere, right? Data is everywhere. How does that impact your organization, the culture of your organization? Because it can maybe force a shift or, you know, maybe not. But how does it impact it? Yeah, that's another brilliant question, Patrick. I, you know, we all see it. You know, it's easier when we're in the office and we're physically in a co-located because there are so many things and there are some things that are you cannot manage through organized meetings because every time I have a thought it's hard to have a you know meeting and get on a calendar and all my great thoughts don't just happen to occur in 30 minute slots like yeah. during the, so I think it is definitely tough with COVID but I'll tell you I kind of feel just everyone in the three years have become digitally so savvy yeah. I can't even imagine like our own, my own buying habit. I'm not a big online kind of buyer of things and it, it completely changed. I'm so comfortable yes. now. By the way, it's a fault now. <laughs> a topic for another day. But I think, Patrick, it is definitely challenging in COVID. And I feel the managers, the people leaders that lead teams, I think they have an even more important task now because they're really the amplification point of whatever you want to drive. Ultimately, you could be four levels up or whatever. You can set the direction, but really the employees are really looking to their direct manager for that. So yeah. I think it makes their work even more important on how to really make this front and center in every, like I said, in yeah. every interaction, yeah. et cetera. Even now it's virtual. So I don't think it's become easier but I think it's a bigger challenge for the managers. And so far, what I see in other organizations, people managers are doing pretty okay because you look at how they're responding to it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. So here's something that I struggle with 
during COVID is communication, right? Because I do a lot of presenting. I present around the world. And for me, that in-person aspect of presenting is vital for the success of delivery of that content, right? The success of delivery of that content. And so what role does the communication play in influencing you know, shifts in cultures and changes in organizations and strategies and the way the organizations are going to move. Because for me, these remote presentations change everything for me, you know, but if you think of, and that's, I'm just one person in this organization, but as a whole, this new way of communicating has changed everything. How does that influence what we're doing now in our organizations? Yeah, another great question. I mean, I would say, Patrick, once again, the direct manager or supervisor that is leading a team, they have a bigger responsibility because you're right, folks, if you're in the room and you know someone thinks before they speak, like yeah. someone like me yaps all the time, whatever. Some people are more thoughtful, they take a question, they will think through it and then answer. In a room, they used to get more opportunity. People would say, okay, hang on, let Patrick respond to that. I think in a virtual setting, sometimes it's not as equitable for folks who are not immediately or we're not thinking on their feet type of a thing. So. I think, again, a bigger responsibility for people who are in a position where they're leading teams to be extra aware of that and make sure if you're not hearing some voices to kind of draw them in. And sometimes, I mean, you know that, Patrick, that some people are way better interacting yeah. via email. The yeah. email will be beautiful because, you know, they've had time to think through it. I think this is where we have to be careful is not just because someone's speaking and they're hogging the airwaves. That's not always the right answer. Yeah. So one thing that I like, at least at my company that I work at, there is a culture of a lot of pre-reads. So you show up to a meeting, people show up prepared. And by the way, this was a acquired taste for me. I show up totally unprepared and I feel on my, <laughs> I'm, I feel on my, at my best when I'm not prepared because I, you know, then you could see what's top of my mind or heart. But this is something I learned, and which has been great learning is through good pre-reads and good pre-work, then you have a level playing field. Then you can get good questions from around the room, not some person who's thinking out loud yeah. and just hogging all of the time. So I think I, this is where I think managers can really help set up the playing field in such a way that they can best get the best kind of collaboration out of their teammates. Yeah. Some people can just suck all the air out of the room, right? They just can suck all the air out of the room and nobody else wants to say anything. Yeah. Tell me about it. I'm a specialist in that. So... <laughs> I'm the master of that arms. <laughs> so, <laughs> talking about people, and there's always that person in the back of the room that's not saying anything, probably the smartest person in the room, you know. And so speaking on people, do you have any best practices for fostering a more inclusive and diverse organizational culture or tips or tricks that you can share with us? I think, you know, again, if I want to make it very practical, because that's how I think is how can a supervisor or a manager or a team lead implement it? I think one of the things that really helped me is just knowing your team members. You know, we have an HR leader, Tiffany. She's great at that. I think in the first few meetings, just letting everyone introduce themselves and their styles. Of course, there's a lot of surveys you could take that have your personality types and say whatever your organization likes. But I think... It, just knowing, so if you knew, Patrick, that regime wants to really think through before responding, yeah, then you are aware as a manager or as a coworker, you know that 
putting me on the spot is probably not the right thing. You really need to give me some time to think through it. And my answer will be very measured and meticulous and correct. There could be another person who's really brilliant on their feet. They get their best ideas like that. They would love to be put on the spot because that's when you really get the best out of them, et cetera. I think just being aware and if you consistently don't hear from certain kind of areas, et cetera. Again, I know I'm over-indexing on the manager here or the leader. I think it's very important is to really make sure that they call on them. Like, hey, Patrick, any thoughts from your side? And let them react. The word, just like with culture, I think, Patrick, being intentional about it, that's the key, I feel. Like, you have to be aware and be intentional about it. You cannot expect it to just happen on its own. So I guess the manager, the direct manager, right? My direct manager needs to have, we need to have somewhat of a relationship or he needs to understand what my superpowers are, right? He needs to understand, hey, this is how Patrick best performs or this is how he best communicates. And then maybe he can pull all the great information that I'm not saying, but if you give me the right venue or the right avenue to deliver it, then, you know, you can get the best out of all your employees. You love it. Well said. Awesome. And so are there... Ethics. Many years ago, the first time I taught college courses a long time ago, and they asked me to teach a business ethics course. And I was like, wait, there's no ethics in business. I kid. 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 But so are there any ethical considerations when influencing culture that we should be think about or we should address? That's interesting. I, you know, ethics, this is a whole kind of topic in itself. I, for my, the summary of ethics is be good and do good. Like that's how overly simplistic I am. Honestly, you know, with COVID, Patrick, at least what I felt was I suddenly, because maybe it was a crisis in front of everyone on how are we going to deal with this? I think it brought out the best in the teams. Even from that perspective, I saw people putting way more hours than they would normally put in and way more considerate things that we would have never even imagined earlier were just happening, et cetera. So I've seen like almost the best come out. But no other rule, like I don't have any ethical type kind of call outs on the culture side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. I think COVID kind of pushed us to work better together. Even though we weren't together, it pushed us a little bit to work better together. And it created this new culture that we didn't expect. We had no idea that we were going to encounter this. And so just a few more. So how can we... We, we have a great culture. I mean, I, I work at Microsoft. Microsoft is an amazing culture and they're continuing to cultivate it. How do we maintain it though? How do we make it continuous? How do we not let this new manager come in, this new CIO, Patrick, who's retiring, come in and go, you know what? We're going from this 30, 80 hour work week and we're only working four days a week. How do we, <laughs> you know, how do we maintain our great culture that you work so hard to implement? Yeah, no, that's amazing. I know I'm smiling because I'm thinking our HR leader, like Tiffany, if she was in the room, she'll be like all over it because she's really our <laughs> our main culture person. You know, it's hard. And if I just add one more question to it, because I always think about it is, let's say you and I will work together and now COVID happened. We already have a relationship. You can always call me, text me, whatever. So yeah, yeah. it doesn't feel as, but just imagine new hires that happened during COVID. They never had that, right? They never had that luxury. And on top of that, like you said, someone totally new coming in. I think that's where I would say, Patrick, that's why it's important. The culture of the organization cannot really be what the CIO is setting for the IT team, the head of sales is setting up for sales team, etc. 
I think the culture of organization really is the culture of the overall organization. You know, that's Microsoft, when I look at from outside, is a very learning type of a culture. And I see a lot of customer obsession. And I don't think if you go to a certain department, they can have, hey, this is not my priority to be culture. I mean, yeah. I see that seeps in throughout the organization. So I would say one way to preserve it is that it's not a your siloed functional type thing that yeah. you drive. Yeah. It's the yeah. culture of the organization. So I'm going to kind of put a wrench in all of this, Rajiv. Early in the conversation, I held it right here in the back of my head. You mentioned AI. You mentioned it. I didn't. I didn't bring up AI. You said AI. How do you think it's going to change the cultures at organizations? Is it going to have any effect on it? Because AI is everywhere. Chat, what is it? Chat GPT. It's all over the place, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, Patrick, you, me, and like other people are thinking about how it's going to change. I don't think anyone knows. I'm sure there are people who are more sure about it than others, but I don't think they fully know either on how yeah. it's going to change. <laughs> it, it, one thing for sure, though, Patrick, it seems like it's going to have a lasting impact. Yeah. Because I'm overly optimistic. My friend used to joke, he always says, glass half broken. So I'm not <laughs> a glass <laughs> half broken guy. I'm thinking just like, you know, again, you talk about social media, some of the other things, everything has positives and negatives. But just like these technologies brought sometimes families together, ability to communicate easier, I'm thinking that AI will have an overall or could have, if we are intentional on how we're going to use it, could have an overall very positive effect on organization performance Yeah, and organization culture. How? That's a great question. I don't really know. I think we're all trying to learn how. Yeah. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about that because in my role at Microsoft, AI is everywhere. It's almost taking over everything that we do. So just to kind of like wrap up. So long-term benefits, right? Long-term benefits of successfully improving your organization's performance or culture, right? They're synonymous at this point. We've said that. How does that impact my happiness, my satisfaction at work as an employee, my productivity, my overall performance, you know, if you can maintain it and successfully implement it, how does that impact me as an employee overall? That's one of my favorite topics, Patrick. I think if you have a great culture, people punch above their weight level uh, and you will get, you will get very different results given the same circumstances. A great culture produces amazing results, amazing performance. Given the same circumstances, you know, one of my friends, Shank, always says, like, you know, we always talk about garbage in, garbage out. He says garbage in, compost out. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking, you know, like, if you think really, Patrick, about it is, how is that some companies, given the same macroeconomic challenges and all these issues, et cetera, they can take it and convert it into absolutely stunning business performance and stunning performance and some companies are not able to do it or fold. I feel culture is the linchpin there. People feel energized by the challenge that is in front of them because they have such a, you know, a rich kind of framework to, to depend or foundation to depend on that this culture that they have built. So I honestly feel, and back to your question on how does it impact that person? Because I'm not an expert. I can only speak personally as an employee how I felt. Yeah, I've been in situations where the targets was crazily out of our reach. The work was like twice from my previous company, but we were loving every minute of it. 
And the reason is you're just part of the beautiful thing. And even though it might seem like impossible what we're trying to do, everyone was like fully on it. And I think that's where people punch above their weight level and get the, the, the kind of results. So I feel great culture means it's a beautiful thing. Um, part of it. Wow, what a way to end the show. What a way to end the show. So I'm going to steal something for you. I present a lot, punch above their weight level, right? That's going to be part of some presentation that I deliver here soon. Thank you so much, Rajiv. Thank you for taking the time to come and talk about performance and culture with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you to everyone that's listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Insights Tomorrow. Be sure to catch us next time as we continue the journey to uncover the challenges and the possibilities that organizations face every day. You can find more about the show and catch future episodes at InsightsTomorrow.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.